for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, praise the Lord. Uh, my name is Josh Kim. I am assistant pastor here at Christ Central Church. And if you are new with us today, we're glad that you could join us for our Sunday service. Um, as some of you may know, that Pastor Howard uh, is on sabbatical starting this Sunday. So some of you who came here uh, hoping to meet Pastor Howard and whatnot, uh, he's actually on a sabbatical, and uh, we are as a church so glad that he could actually be on sabbatical, and we're praying for him during this time as he is taking time away from our church uh, to rest and to be restored during this time as well. Uh, during the time... Uh, of sabbatical at Christ Central Church, not only I will be speaking from this pulpit, but we have um, our beloved guest speakers all throughout uh, our city that will come and join us. They know Pastor Howard well, and they know our church really well, and they love to continue to share with us what gospel and the scripture teaches us today. And throughout this sabbatical time, we're actually going to spend our time in the gospel of Mark uh, as we learn more about what God uh, is doing in light of what we learned this past season in First and Second Samuel, of the, as we waited the king to come, in Gospel of Mark actually talks about the king that came and is here today. Church, can you believe it is March already? The weather is nice, nicer now. And as I was driving in this morning, I was reminded again, this was the start of a sabbatical year, but also a, it was a reminder that this time around last year, this time around last year, in March 3rd, actually, was when the first case of the coronavirus was detected in North Carolina. It's been about a year of uh, being in this lockdown as we toiled together as the body. And today, I'm, I was so glad, excited, because a lot of us, some of us actually, were able to come together for limited in-person worship and praise the Lord for allowing this to happen we also know that many are still fasting, of being able to come together in this place to worship the Lord. So we long for that, as Pastor Howard reminds us, that we are fasting during this time to look for the feast that is to come ahead. And what a year this has been for many of us. We lost a lot during this time. Our friends and family, we've seen people lose the battle against the coronavirus not only losing their lives, but many of us felt the loss of community, being connected to one another, 
and the Zoom fatigue and watching things on YouTube, it is tiring after a while. And we all struggle in all this. And we have isolated ourselves for the safety of not only ourselves, but the others at times through this time as well. But as we struggle in this pandemic, we also heard of some good news on the horizon, have we not? We have heard of the vaccine that are available now. And as more and more vaccine is administered to different people, there are good news of family reunions, some optimism, there's some hope of normalcy returning. A lot of our parents are really excited about our kids going back and finding some kind of sanity in the midst of all that is happening as well. Church, you see, that's what good news does for us. It brings some hope in the hopelessness. It brings possibilities of some things changing. It also brings potential joy in the heart that has been suffering for a while. And as we begin the Gospel of Mark this morning, this chapter reminds us of the good news of the Gospel as well. Today's scripture points out that after a long time of silence, after the last prophet of the Old Testament, the Gospel of Mark now begins with the, this new hope, the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have to remember the word for the gospel here in its original language in Greek is evangelion, literally translated as good news. And I want to remember that. I want to park here and think about this word for a little bit because I think as a church, as a society, we often forget what that really means. Remember what evangelion stands for, right? In this day and age, when the word evangelical, where the evangelion word comes from, takes on many meanings for us and many false ideologies that are attached to that, but we as a church are reminded again as we look at this word, as we delve into the word of God, is that God's word, God's word tells us evangelion, the gospel, the good news means just that, nothing else. Do you get that, church? The gospel means it is good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to die and to live again. That is what evangelical means at the core and at the heart. It's not an ideology. It's not a political sense. It's not a group of people. It's not an identity that you grasp with your political desires or your own Heart. Evangelion, the word gospel, the good news, at the core, we find the central figure, the king, the king Christ, the righteous king, the king who is in line of David, who will not fail, who will not leave us, and who will deliver those who place their faith in him. That's what the good news, evangelicals, evangelion is all about. And as we delve into that good news this morning, according to Mark, we find this good news does three things for us. The three things that good news does is that it invites all of us to come to Christ. The good news invites all of us to respond to Christ. 
And ultimately, the good news of Jesus Christ invites all of us on a journey with our risen Savior. Good news of Jesus Christ invites all of us to come to him. The good news of Jesus Christ invites all of us to respond to who he is. And ultimately, the good news of Jesus Christ invites us on a journey to walk with our Savior. First thing we see is that good news invites all of us, all of us, to come to him. Verse 1 today begins by saying, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's how the gospel begins. And if you think about the beginning words of this gospel narrative, the word that's highlighted is the beginning of the gospel. And if you know the the Bible well, the very first of the uh, Genesis, the first book of the Old Testament, also starts in a very similar manner. The Gospel of Mark says, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Genesis starts by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So Mark is intentionally using this first line as a new re-beginning, new recreation of the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And what a glorious news this is, church. This good news is a new beginning, but also the continuation from the old story of the Old Testament that points towards this moment. It was told that if you read the Bible from the beginning to the end, the Old Testament all points towards this moment in the New Testament when Christ returns to fulfill all the promises, all the prophecies of the Old Testament. That's why we see throughout Gospel of Mark all these prophecies of Old Testament coming true time and time again through the person, the God, King of Christ. And what this gospel reminds us is that Old Testament narrative that reminded us that time and time again, even the best of us, right? We saw the best people in the Old Testament, Adam, Abraham, David, you mentioned it. Even the great fathers of faith still fail in light of what God commands them to do so. Our inability to save ourselves is highlighted in light of their faithfulness as well. But what's highlighted throughout the Old Testament is that God does not give up on his people. God will never give up on his people, and he'll fulfill the promise he gave in Genesis chapter 3.15 when he first told of this Evangelion, the good news of the gospel. And this story now finds its source, its ultimate hope, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So here, in this beginning, is God's proclamation. The good news of Christ invites all of us who are weary and burdened, who are tired, who have lost hope, those who do not feel loved or feel lovable in your own ways. Those who are stuck in the cycle of sin and addiction, pain and suffering. Jesus says, come all who are burdened and weary. I will give you the rest. This is an invitation for no matter where you are, especially if you're not a follower of Christ this morning, this is an invitation for you to come into his presence, come into his place to find rest that only comes from our King, our Savior. And I hope you know that. The church, especially if you're a member at Christ Central Church, I know, because I've been sitting on the preaching at Christ Central for a while now as well with you, and I hope that you'll hear this time and time again. This gospel invitation is for you, wherever you are, 
whatever state you may be in, God invites you to come to him and find rest in him. We must remember that. But I also want to highlight one other aspect of this holistic nature of the gospel. We must remember the gospel, the good news, is holistic. What I mean is it's not only addressing your heart struggle, your desire to come to the Lord, but inability to do so, but the gospel also addresses how you are made, how you're created, because we know that God does not make mistakes, right? So you are made in the image of God. So you and I are both spiritual as well as a physical being. And by what I mean by this is that the gospel not only calls everyone who has heart struggle, who is full of um, addiction and sin to come to him, but this gospel also invites all ethnicity, all ethnos, all nations to come at the foot of the cross. And how do I know that? God shows that very clearly from the onset in his plan for this news, this good news to happen in Genesis. Remember back in Genesis chapter 12 when Abraham received this promise from the Lord and God says, through your descendants, many nations will be blessed. The nations here is the word ethnos, ethnicity, comes from that word, meaning they will hear the gospel invitation will be invited through this family that God has chosen and through whom the descendant Christ will come from. And all throughout the Old Testament, we not only see this promise being kept over and over again as Abraham's descendants impact the lives of those around them as they come in contact with them, even through their failures and successes, but we see that God also intentionally bringing in other ethnicities into the tribe of Israelites, intentionally, not, on, not to mention Jesus is his own genealogy. For example, do you know that Manasseh and Ephraim, the two tribes that make up the 12 tribes of Israel, are two African sons born to Joseph in Egypt? Not to mention Rahab, Tamar, Bathsheba, Ruth, who are all Gentiles, outsiders, they're all included in this family, God's chosen people of God. Church, it's not accident that this happened. It's not a result of someone making mistake that this happened. If you and I believe God's sovereign, God is intentional about this. What we must remember is that Mark 1 marks the beginning of the gospel, the new creation. That means Revelation 7, when all God's people, nation, tribe, tongue, ethnos are represented is the end picture of what God wants to do. Worshiping our resurrected Savior together as body of Christ. Esau Macaulay, theologian, professor, and author of Reading While Black wrote this, speaking of finding black identity in the scripture. He says, we need to be as clear as possible about this. When it comes to the question of black presence in the Bible, it is not a question of finding our place in someone else's story. The Bible is first and foremost the story of God's desire to create a people. We are included within the desire. And I read this book in light of the Black History Month last month, but I was reminded again and again and again that black history is our history. It is the gospel history. God is at work in the lives of God's people, and that includes black and brown people in it. If God is our God, 
God who was intentional of bringing all the ethnos into the mix, then the black history is the gospel history. That also means Asian Americans here, Latinos, Native Americans, are all included in our grand narrative of the gospel story. And that's what marks this new beginning here at church. It is invitation for all of us. And our call this morning is come and be celebrated as God's image bearers. Here is a king who come to deal with all of us and all our brokenness and all our differences. I know it's hard. What we're trying to do as a church is not an easy thing. There's so many far easier paths. I know that. But if our core identity as a church is to picture who Christ called us to be, what a noble calling that we have at our hand. To come not only to know and be comfortable where we are, but be challenged and to be celebrated and to celebrate one another as God has intended to be. Church, isn't that what we're called to do as Christians? Isn't that what we're made to do? Isn't that what the Bible tells us we are called to be? I love it when it says in verse 2 of this chapter where it says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. This was promised. You will see it. God is telling us, well, I have done it. I will complete it. Just look at this by sending my son. Basically, he's saying, look at all the promises I told you about, and it's going to happen. And something about Mark that's amazing is he continuously moves on so fast. He wants to get to the story. So he keeps on saying, immediately, 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 and this is what it says. Like, as it is written, Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, and immediately after that, John appears, right? To say, hey, I told you this, it's written about it. Here he is. And John says, the one who's greater than I are coming. And guess what? Here he is. It's going to be fulfilled. This is the legacy. This is the hope. This is the good news. We're not following a mere ideology. We're following the gospel hope. My invitation for us as we delve into gospel mark is let's grow together in this. Especially in this season, in our political climate, in our society today, let's not run away from this, but let's come together and let's grow together because God is with us and the invitation is for all of us to come to him. Second thing we see is not only does gospel invite us to him, all of us, the good news of the gospel invites us to respond to who he is. In this universal story that we see, the good news does in fact demand us and invite us to a life of response to him. Notice what it says of the one, the herald, the preparer, the undercard fighter of the main event, John the baptizer who sets the table of the king says in verse 4. John appears, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And all the country of Judea, all Jerusalem, every single people from different backgrounds were coming out to him and were being baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, ate locusts and wild honey, and the priest saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of his sandals. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Here again, we are introduced to John the baptizer. He's a prophet. 
the bringer of the God's word, and we automatically see from onset he is an outsider, right? He's not someone that's sitting in a synagogue, drawing a large crowd, being at the center of religious discussion. We're introduced to him as someone who is out in the wilderness, wearing something that sets him apart, eating something that sets him apart. His location sets him apart. More than anything else, he's calling for repentance. Action, not mere intellectual conversion of your mind and heart or understanding or recognition of society, but of active faith, active response towards the coming king. We must not forget, that's what the good news requires us to do. It asks for you and I to respond to it. It's not just an intellectual transformation, checkmark on Sunday, attendance of a service, or just being part of a multi-ethnic church. Yes, we need that. We all need that. But it also must translate towards active response of obedience to him. And what does that obedience look like? I think the first and foremost it must respond by acknowledgement of our sin. As John reminds us here, as you come to Christ, as you come to the gospel call, the confession of sin, repentance of our brokenness, saying, I am doomed without you, and even if I try to save myself, I'm still doomed. I have no one else but you to come to. That's the attitude, the heart, the gospel requires you to come to. But how often we have failed in that as well. In my marriage, I've learned it the hard way that I'm so good at adding things. I was never good at math growing up, but I realized, man, I'm so good at adding things. Adding means adding and, but, if, so. My wife would gently call me and tell me, hey, this is a flaw in your life. And gently remind me, you need to grow in this. And I always say, yes, you're right, wife, but, and, if, so, well, you're right, but look at all that I've done to improve upon that. Yes, you're right, but I'm not as bad as the other people. Have you heard of the stories of other husbands? I'm much better. Wait just a minute. Yes, you're right, but how about you? You know, oh, wow. You know, don't say that, right? I know I need help. You need help. We all need help. And if this type of response of gently rebuke doesn't end well, if you think that, you know, my responses do not end well. Imagine what we're doing with our Heavenly Father who is more holier than any. We come to Him with so many ifs and buts and say, look at all the things I have done, Lord. You know, all the things I have done. Yes, Lord, I must follow you, respond to it, acknowledge that I'm a sinner, but look at all these things I did to make stuff my look better. That's how we come. John the baptizer preparer is telling us that all of us, the poor, rich, upper class, middle class, doesn't matter. All of us to come and say, yes, I need you. Every morning I need you. Well, the desert is too hot. I need water. I need this. No. God says, I know. Come. Come in this place of repentance, of surrender, knowing that you are doomed if you do, doomed if you don't. Only Christ can save us. And again, what John the preparer, John the baptizer responds to us is that our response also itself is not end-all and be-all. Because he also says, as you come with repentance towards him, 
He who baptizes with Holy Spirit, the one who has mighty power to save, the one who has power to rework our hard lives, the one who you and I can even have the power and courage to respond will work. A father that runs towards a sinner who runs to him is coming, and he will not give up on you. Church, can I encourage you, especially in this season of our lives today, do not give up on meeting together online. I know it's hard. Don't give up coming to him and making him a priority in your life. Don't give up thinking that this struggle to love one another in our differences is too hard for you to handle. Because gospel reminds us again that God may be doing something in your life. Hold on to the words of John the baptizer, the herald, the preparer, the undercard, the one who is mightier than I. He is coming and he's at work and he's not done with you yet. He sees you. He knows your pain. He knows where you are. He will not give up on you. Trust in the words of the scripture. Embrace on it. Meditate upon it, as the psalm writer reminds us. I love what David Walker once wrote. In 1829, he published one of the greatest abolitionist documents today called Walker's Appeal. And in it, he wrote this. He says, have not the Americans the Bible in their hands? Do they not believe it? And he says, surely they do not see how they treat us in open violation of the Bible itself. I don't know about you, but I was so rebuked when I read that. I was so challenged by that. Because throughout the history, many so-called claiming Christians failed at the sight of grievous sin of slavery. Many was complicit in it. And this is not just a distant past issue. I believe so-called Christians not believing the truth of the Bible is a real threat for all of us today. It is so easy in the South, especially in the Bible Belt that we live in, to claim ourselves to be Christian and not follow the way of the Lord. I was listening to an NPR podcast yesterday, and they're talking about Judaism, and they're talking about how you could be a, a Jew in a Judaism but not be a practicing Judaism. But then even the rabbi said, but in Christianity, that's not true. Right? You cannot call yourself Christian and not believe in Jesus Christ, the Savior. And I was floored by that. Rabbi, who's not a Christ follower, sees distinction the Christian ought to make in their lives. But how often we as Christians don't even trust the very word of the Lord and do not come to the presence of God, rather we follow our own ways. The gospel of Jesus Christ, church, reminds us that he is in control his sovereign Lord, and he will not give up on us. The work he began in us, he will carry on to completion. In response to that, we ought to come with repentance, surrender, and commitment to follow him because he alone can do that work in us. May this gospel story that we delve into prod us towards the repentance. May this gospel story that we thrive to grasp, to internalize, to not only understand, but to print the practice, lead us towards love for God and love for others. May we be a church that reflects the body of believers that trust 
and believe and put into practice the very word of the Lord. The final thing that gospel, the good news does, is not only invites all of us, not only invites us to respond to it, but the good news invites us on a a journey with our Savior. Good news of Jesus Christ invites us to go on a journey with Jesus Christ. In verse 9, it says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from the heavens saying, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. What a beautiful moment of baptism. What a beautiful confirmation of triune God. God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, confirming, commissioning, empowering the work of ministry to our head. Now, what's next? Verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Right? Where is he going? And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and angels were ministering to him. You know the gospel story, the good news of Jesus Christ? As we see this beautiful work, beautiful commissioning work of God, beautiful call that God gives for all of us to follow him, to respond to him in surrender and faith, oftentimes this call of the gospel leads you to a journey. And this journey is not an easy journey. Time and time again, as we see in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus calling us to a life of a discipleship, life to follow after him. But you know what it's going to be? It's not going to be all jolly, jolly, happy, acceptance, growth, everybody singing kumbaya together. Rather, the journey is going to be up and down, persecutions, hardships, hunger, threats against their own life, Proclaiming the truth despite no one listening, no one hearing, no one responding. The good news invites us to that kind of journey, as we will see throughout the Gospel of Mark. But what we are reminded again throughout this story is that this king will fight the battle for us. It is no mere accident. Again, Mark writes of Christ, the newly confirmed, commissioned, empowered Son of God, beloved Son, who is well pleased by the God, the Father, going out to the wilderness to take on the identity of second Adam in the new creation. The true Israelites, the Israelites who failed in the wilderness in the Old Testament, but this true Israelite is able to overcome temptation in the new wilderness is telling of a story of a king who leads at the forefront of the journey that he invites us to go on. Hans Beyer, my beloved professor at Covenant Theological Seminary, said the Gospel of Mark is a story of a life of a discipleship. It's an invitation of you and I to follow and to imitate him. Tim Keller, many of your favorite and respected pastor theologians, said the Gospel of Mark is an invitation for you to dance with the king to go on a journey with our Savior. All this to say, He is calling us, all of us on a journey to follow Him. And another way to say that is, as Pastor Derek reminded us, is a life of discipleship, the way of the cross. 
And the journey is going to have its ups and downs, more downs than up. Notice that he isn't just leading us to the paradise. He will lead us into the wilderness. And oftentimes, the wilderness is the wilderness of our hearts, where we're confronted with our sin, where we're confronted with our preconceived notions of who we are, we're confronted with our self-righteousness, we're confronted with our sin that is deeply rooted in us. And this gospel journey that he will lead us on should open our eyes to see the plank in your eyes. And you know, the gospel should offend us. It should challenge us. And it should change us. If you come to a church and church does not challenge your preconceived notion, I don't think you're really growing in it. Oh, how I wish and pray as we go through the Gospel of Mark that I will offend you so much, not with what I say, but from the Scripture as Christ speaks to your heart. Your sin should be offended by the gospel of Christ to acknowledge that we are a sinner in light of who God is so that all of us could have the same testimony as Paul the apostle who says I'm a great sinner than all of you but wow Christ my savior have mercy on my soul may only Jesus Christ save you in your brokenness But church, as we come to this place of the gospel journey where he invites us to confront our brokenness, our sin, and to do the hard work of transforming our lives, as my pastor once said, the church ought to be a hospital where we come and we find healing. We find acceptance. We find love. But he also said church ought to be a place of a boot camp but we're challenged, trained, impacted by the gospel so we can be Christ's representatives into the world that he goes into. Here's the joy of the gospel as he calls you on a journey. Not only this journey that he's marked out for us, he will lead us in the forefront. Not only he shows us how to dance as he dances the dance even towards the cross, Not only he leads and calls you out into the life of discipleship, as you will see in the next week, as he calls disciples to come after him. Not only does he lead at the forefront of your life, but he is ever-present in the life as you wrestle in this battle of temptation, sin, and the wilderness. That's what we find, doesn't we? Christ who overcomes temptation in the wilderness. We have the high priest who is able to sympathize with us because he has been tempted in every way. He knows us. He knows our failures, our shortcomings. But he will not give up. And he will work in your life to continue on. And as the old hymn reminds us, hold on to the old rugged cross. Cling on to the old rugged cross where everything else seems to go away. And there's journey, there's hope, there's incredible amount of joy 
when you are transformed and used by him to point others to Christ. Many of you know that we suffered house fire um, uh, about three months ago, and finally we fixed fixed the house. For the first time in a long time, we finally be back in my bedroom. And man, you know how many times I have to tell my story to people that come? Like the day it was burned, right? People are like, what happened? It's like, yeah, you know, I left a box of ash on the, uh, uh, in my garage. It's like, why? I know, I'm dumb. And then another person would say, what happened? You know, I said, put a box of ash by the firewood. Why? I know, I'm dumb. And someone would say, like, oh, so what happened? Again and again. And you know, I kitchen us, people would come and look at our house and be like, man, that house looks really terrible. And the people would drive by. We live in cul-de-sac, and they would drive really slow. They're like, what happened to that house? And they look at it and like, man, someone must have done something terrible, right? I'm, like, for a number of months, because we were having a hard time finding contractors, it was all for people to see, right? Come and see my brokenness, right? What, what I've done. And every time my neighbors would come and say, hey, what happened? I have to tell my story of my brokenness, what I've done to put my family at risk, my fault, my mistake. Again and again and again and again. And we got the contractors, and they came, and they fixed up the house. And now, what a beautiful sight this is of a new house being built. And you know, people still come by, more people than before. And you know what they say? Wow, what happened to this house? Like, it was terrible before. It was so, like, like I actually got a HOA violation, right? <laughs> like, fix it. All right, you know. But now they're like, wow, what an amazing transformation of your house. It looks much better than before. Can I come in and see your finished garage? Wow, can I come in and see that new garage door that you have that's a lot quieter than before? Can I look at the new siding that you put up? Wow, can I look at all these things? Who has done this? Can I get the contract's information? You know what's amazing about this? Is that my brokenness was all in displays for people to see. I could not hide it. And when the contractor came and transformed that and made it into the new place, everybody comes and sees it too. And they all want to know who did it. They all want to ask, hey, yeah, you were terrible. This house was broken. But look at this amazing thing. Who fixed it for you? Give me that number. I need to have that fixed in my life. Church, I think that's what the gospel does for us, right? As you are broken, bear before the Lord in full surrender to him and saying, wow, look at me. I am not there yet. Look at all my broken, more brokenness that you are on display before the Lord. People will see the transformation power of the gospel and will say, who has changed your life? In the watching world, that's what Christians ought to be. Not look at me. I got everything together. I got all these policies correct. Follow after me. Rather, it's to say that look at my brokenness, and as Christ transforms my life, look at Christ who has changed my life. That's the journey the gospel calls us to go on. Not only so, a final illustration to end. Not only you are called to a life of transformation, but the journey includes you as the sons and daughters of God. Do you know that? Uh, people ask me about this shirt. I got a permission to buy this shirt because uh, I'm going to use it as an illustration. You may wonder, wow, cool shirt, right? It's a dragon symbol here. Uh, this shirt is actually uh, a symbol of a Korean king, Korean dynasty. So if you look at all the Korean history and all the Korean dramas, actually you can watch on Netflix now, uh, only person 
that gets to wear this symbol on their shirt is the king. And I kid you not, if this person who shows up in the scene with this shirt on, everybody bows. And he walks with confidence, acknowledgement that he is a king. But you know who else gets to wear this symbol? The heir to the throne. The king who is going to take over for the king. The son of the king gets to wear this. I'm not a king's son. <laughs> I, I share with my history of my genealogy, um, the book that I have. Uh, we could trace it back somehow, and I could argue my way there, but chances are probably not going to be a king. Uh, but you know what the gospel reminds us today, church? He says you are adopted as sons and daughters of God. When Jesus says, when God, uh, God comes and when he baptizes his son, there's a voice from heaven that says, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus, the son of God, is the gospel message. And the gospel message tells us as you and I respond and follow him on this journey, you and I could get to wear this king's emblem in your heart because you and I are the sons and daughters of our most heavenly father. And that's the journey the gospel call invites us to come to. Let's pray. Father, we, we are amazed by your truth that despite our brokenness, our utter helplessness, that you invite us on this journey to follow after you. Though oftentimes we come with all our accomplishments, all our hopes and all our desires to think that, Lord, we may be good enough, but again and again we find that we're not. And if there's any evidence this past year reminded us, Lord, we are broken people. In many ways than not. So as we begin our journey in the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, this year, in the Gospel of Mark, as you invite us in the life of response and a life of a journey of discipleship, may we respond to follow you, our King, our Savior, as adopted sons and daughters of God. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.